Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Alberto, and thank you, worship team. Good morning, Temple. It's good to be with you. Um, my world is back in balance because my wife uh, came back yesterday, and she said, she said she's going to give it one more chance. So, uh, but uh, I do want to say I, 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 know I've been, um, I know I've been sort of here and then not here and then here. I'm about as predictable as wisdom from a Kardashian. And, um, oh, it's kind of funny. Um, but I'm going to be with you till the end of June, and, uh, and I'm going to be away one Sunday preaching somewhere else, but I will be much more consistent, which might be good for you. It might be a reason to plan the cottage early. I don't know. So, um, but thank you. Um, let's uh, pray. I need God's help. We need God's heart. So we're going to ask for that, and then we're going to jump in. Okay. Father God, we run to you this morning and we fall into grace. For you are the one that has the words of life. Where else would we turn? And so, Father, I acknowledge that I'm not worthy of the task nor capable of what it is I think you want to do amongst us and in us this morning, so we need your help. Father, we invite the sound of sandaled feet amongst us so that you would have your way. You would teach us, for you are a good God, and we trust you in everything. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, and for his great glory. Amen and amen. We are in the book of Ruth. I want to start with two questions this morning. My sermon title is Blinding Bitterness. First question, listen carefully. Have you ever had anything done to you, against you, that has been hurtful, devastating, a betrayal, where you have just said, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. Has that ever happened to you? You can lift your hand, you can nod your head, you can point to your husband, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. Have you ever had that happen to you? Been hurt, been dinged, where somebody has done something and you've said, are you kidding me? Second question is this. When I asked the first question, did a face or a name immediately pop into your head? Now, you don't have to lift your hand for that one. But if it did, I'd like to suggest to you this morning that you may have some bitterness in that situation. And this morning, with God's help and the Spirit's movement amongst us, I hope and pray that you will have some capacity, some tools to deal with bitterness in your life. So if you have your Bibles there, open up to the book of Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. Let me give you just a reflection on the context of where we've been, of course. Uh, Naomi and her husband Elimelech have moved from uh, Bethlehem down to Moab because there's a famine in uh, in Bethlehem. Is there an echo in here? Is there an echo in here? 
I, is, that, is that me or something? I'm hearing an echo, and because I'm ADD enough, I, it's just, is it echoey or no? Is it just me? Yes? No? Okay. Um, do what my wife does and turn me down. Maybe that's the answer. I don't know if that's the answer. Okay, that seems better to me. I don't know. It's, 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 yeah, is that better? I don't know. Okay, maybe it is. Thank you. Thank you, sound guys. Sound guys, they get blamed for everything, right? I mean, it's the most, you know, it's too loud. It's not loud enough. It's, you know, it's echoing. Oh, my goodness. God bless you. Thank you guys for serving. Um, so Naomi has moved down to Moab, and of course, Elimelech dies, and her two boys marry Moab wives, not God's will, and the two boys die, and now Naomi and her two daughters, uh, Orpah and Ruth, are left, and Naomi says, you know what, I'm going back to Bethlehem, there's food there, and so she decides to move back to Bethlehem, and uh, she takes Ruth with her, a Moabite. And we pick the story up, Ruth with her Moabite daughter, uh, Naomi with her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth, arrive back in Bethlehem. And remember that Moabites are not popular amongst the Jews. And so, hear the word of the Lord. We're going to begin reading at verse number 19 of chapter 1. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, these are the townswomen, this is the scuttlebutt in the town. The women said, is this Naomi? Is this Naomi? Now look at the next statement there. She said to them, so Naomi heard the whispering, the chattering, the murmuring. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab when they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. See, the surprise and the incredulity of the townspeople at her appearing. First of all, it's just that she would actually show up there and then they see Naomi. And these women look at her and they say, is this Naomi? I mean, the word, if you're named, named Naomi, you may know that name means the pleasant one. And they look at her and they go, well, she went away, a vibrant woman, Naomi, with her whole life ahead. And she's come back and she's been through the ringer. And now she's disappointed. She's a woman of despair. And she doesn't look anything like the Naomi that left. And this is not lost to Naomi, right? She overhears this buzz in the community, and she gives public vent to years of frustration and pain, and she demands a new name because of it. She left Bethlehem as Naomi, but she didn't return as Naomi. And four times, in what we read, if you noticed, Four times she speaks of what happened to her, and each time she mentions the Lord. For the Almighty, verse 21, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? See, Naomi, at this moment in her life, she's a bitter woman, right? She's been through an immensely difficult number of years. 
And it's brought her heartache and trouble and so much pain. Now, let's state the obvious. Sometimes our own ill-conceived decisions bring upon us you know, some precarious and painful seasons in our lives, and it's our own doing. We know that. At other times, you know, it feels like trouble just seems to seek some people and some families out. And maybe you feel like that sometimes. It's like, man, I can't believe this has happened to us again. Right? And trouble brings often to our hearts and minds anger and disappointment, and slowly that begins to morph into bitterness. And this morning, I want to talk about how do we deal with bitterness? What do we do with it? Do we just sort of, you know, soldier on and hope for the best? Let's begin by defining it. What is bitterness? Okay, let me give you a definition. Bitterness is a resentful negativity that fuels hostility towards others. So it's a resentful negativity, but it doesn't end there. It fuels hostility towards others. Remember when I said to you, is, you know, have you ever been dinged in your life, been betrayed, been hurt, you know, been let down by somebody else? And then I asked you if a face or a name went with that. See, it didn't end with this resentful negativity. The face and the name came because in your heart, somewhere in you, there is hostility towards that person. And you have to deal with that. Because bitterness is an emotion which encompasses both anger and often hate. And you must deal with your bitterness because if you don't, your bitterness will deal with you. And it'll take you to very, very difficult places. Paul said in Ephesians 4.31, okay, you can write this down, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, see, it's like a three-legged stool. Bitterness, wrath, and anger. What to do with it, right? Be put away from you. He actually adds slander in there too because when you get to the place of bitterness, the slander comes so easily. Oh, you may like that person, but if you knew what they did to me, oh, you'd like to know? Right? It can just come so easily. And Paul says, let all bitterness, not some of it, don't let any of it remain. Be put away. Get a long distance away from it. Remove yourself from it as far as you possibly can. Because that bitterness, when it takes a root, what happens is it builds a barrier to reconciliation. And it allows anger to fester. And that's an immense problem because the Lord Jesus from his own lips said, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to, do you know what the next word is? Judgment. So you got to deal with it. You got to find your way through it. So let me give you a few principles. We'll look back at the text that will help you to understand how to deal with some bitterness in your life. Number one. In your bitterness, never, ever lose sight that the Lord is in control. The Lord is in control. Amen? Absolutely, he's in control. Verse 21, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Yeah, okay, well, God is in control. You may not like it, Naomi, but God actually is in control, right? 
and he's brought me back empty. I love what Tim Keller says about bitterness. You know what he says? Worry, worry is believing that God will not get it right, and bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. Is that a good quote? Worry is believing that God cannot get it right, and bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. Well, this should have never happened to me. This is terrible, whatever. It could never be God because, boy, this is hurtful. This upset me. This is not pleasant. God must have got it wrong. Uh, We used to sing, oh, this is probably 20 years ago, maybe, uh, a song by Matt Redman, Blessed Be Your Name. Do you ever sing that one, Gillian? I love that song. you You know, it's old. It's funny when you say something 20 years old is old, right? Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful. When your streams of abundance flow, blessed be your name. We all say amen to that. Yeah, when the streams of abundance flow, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? Wow. But then Redmond goes on and says, blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. A little tougher, right? A little tougher, Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. Okay, we're back to good times again. Thank goodness. When the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. My wife yesterday, she got home and our kids came over and we live out in the country. We got a nice piece of property. We got a pool. We sat out on our patio and the kids are running around and, and the dogs are running around and it's blue sky and it's blessed be your name. This is a great. I said to her, wasn't that when the, everybody left and went home? I said, wasn't that a great after? That was great. And she said, I didn't think they were going to stay that long. I was like, oh yeah, isn't that fantastic? I'm sitting here this morning and my phone, I look down and she's just messaged me. The well is not pumping water. We have no water. It was better when the sun was shining down on me yesterday afternoon. We got a pool. I said, you know, jump in the pool. (laughs) She didn't find that particularly helpful. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. Wow. You know, this song, Redmond based it on the book of Job, Job 1.21. You know the verse that often gets recited at funerals. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has what? Taken away. And then Job goes on to say, the Lord has taken away. And then what does he say? Blessed be the what? Blessed be the name of the Lord even though the Lord's taken away. Now, the Hebrew word there for blessed is barak, barak. Barack Obama, barak, same word, but in the Hebrew. Not, not you know. Same, same spelling, right? Do you know what it means? It means bless, bless God. It literally, the inference there is to kneel before God and actually say, blessed be you, Lord, I surrender to you, even though this is immensely painful and I don't get it. Blessed be your name. I'm going to take this as from you because you're in control. And man, that is going to be an antidote to my bitterness because ultimately you are sovereign. You're in control. If you're hurt and angry and resentful and that has given root to bitterness, do not blame the offender. Choose to trust God. Second point. Consider discipline as God's blessing, 
Now, for some of you, that was just like, hand, you know, nails down the chalkboard. Sometimes when you feel betrayed, broken, hurt, damaged, dinged in life, it's actually God's hand of discipline. Sometimes you own a piece of the pain, right? Take inventory. The book of Hebrews chapter 12, you can turn over there if you want. Hebrews chapter 12, let me read a few verses for you, beginning of verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, this is the Lord Jesus of course, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Then listen to verses 5 and 6. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He loves. Nor be weary when reproved by him. How about you? Could you say, you know, where, where is this bitterness? Maybe God, in his loving will and way towards me, this place where I'm finding myself is his gracious and kind and loving hand of discipline. Right? Now, is all pain and disappointment in the Christian life discipline? No. But frankly, some of it is. And I think far less often than we need to, we don't want to acknowledge that. So let me say this to you this morning. When you think, when you think, you know, this has been done to me, just put the brakes on and stop thinking about what has been done to you by them and what has been done for you by him. Because he disciplines those he loves. He disciplines though he lo- those he loves. And if you go back to Hebrews 12, chapter 12, therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthening your weak knees. Don't be angry and don't be bitter and don't be disappointed and make straight the path for your feet. Uh, when I was pastoring, <clears throat> we used to take about 125 kids. We'd rent a summer camp up north and we'd take 125 kids. We'd rent the whole camp for a week and we'd run our own camp up there with all these kids. And we'd take some neighborhood kids, you know, some kids that were families. They had no faith background. One summer we took this, and I used to go up there and, you know, they called me Captain Chaos because I broke all the rules. And it's like, you're the pastor. You're not supposed to break all the rules, you know. But anyways, there was a kid one year named Brady. And this kid, you wanted to choke him half of the time and you wanted, and I thought, if God ever gets a hold of that kid's heart, he will be um, unbelievable because he was just, he was just full of life. And but at this camp, they had a dinner bell, you know, so it was a ding, 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 you know. And the only time you rang the dinner bell was, you know, you had to come to the mess hall. So it's dinner, or there's something significant or serious, or somebody's missing. And so the rule was, don't ring that bell unless you're given permission. And one day, Brady cannot help himself. And he rings the, ding, ding, ding. So all, every, all the kids from, it's on free time. All the kids come, trade, is everything all right? Is somebody missing? We know it's not dinner. And Brady rang the bell. I said, here's the deal, Brady. The Bible says the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he said, but you're not the Lord but I'm going to work on his behalf. 
And I said, Brady, you're going to sit in this chair on the front porch of the mess hall. You're going to sit there, and you're going to sit there for an hour the whole time of free time. You're going to sit there. Some kids are swimming. Other kids are doing this. You're going to sit there. And he grunted it out. He grunted. I mean, he just, he sat there, and he took it on the chin. One of the things we had for different events was one of those little air horns, right? And towards the end of the week, he said, man, I'd really like to take that air horn home. And I said, Brady, if I give you this air horn, do you promise not to blow it till you get home? Which his mother probably really appreciated, right? (laughs) Those Baptists, they give our kids air horns. Yeah, he said, yeah. And you know what? He took that little air horn and he stuck it in his sweatshirt and he said, Pastor Steve, I learned from when you made me sit on the porch, I'm going to stick it in my sweatshirt because I know I'll be tempted and, I'll, and, and I won't be able to hold back, so I'm going to put it in there. I said, way to go, Brady. Right? Way to go. And he knew that that discipline was loving because we wanted him to do better. Way to go. So when, when, you know, when you think, oh, you know, this was done to me by somebody on the, on the horizontal. No, say to yourself, you know what? Actually, this may have been done by the heavenly will of God. Not to me, but for me. Number three. Gratefulness is the greatest antidote, I believe, to bitterness. Because gratefulness builds immunity to bitterness. Did you know that? If you're always trying to balance the scales, right? You know, you're, li- you're living on the verge of being slighted. Well, I did this and I did that and I, you know, and they did it, you know. And now, and you're holding on to little grudges. You're giving bitterness a place to incubate. Gratefulness is the antidote. And when some, something of significant comes into your life, Someday it, it will come out like a roaring lion, right? Like I've been trying to balance this goat, right? And it just comes out. And you need to be building into your life gratefulness. Jeremiah, there is none like you, Lord, right? You are great and great is your name, right? Paul, Romans chapter 8, he tells us, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. I'm so grateful. Five or six years ago, I was going through a tough time while I was pastoring. I had some people in my church that were mad at me. Can you imagine that? And I, and I, I had this, some bitterness was beginning to take root. And I didn't really want to admit it, but I knew deep in my heart that was the case. And it was begin and it was bugging me and and I was wrestling with it. And I and, and and you know, full disclosure, I was in some regard happy to let that incubate. Right? I I did a lot for those people. I loved them as their pastor, uh, you know. And about the same time, I went to a conference in Nashville. And uh, there was a guy that spoke at the conference, and then I got to spend a little bit of time with him afterwards. And I'm going to show you a picture here. Uh, we're going to put it, is it Travis up there? Who's up there today? Travis. Travis is going to picture up, put a picture up there. Travis? There it's Okay. So the two guys on the far left are two of my friends, and then yours truly, and the guy on the right. The guy on the right, his name is Rich Carell. And you're saying, well, it doesn't mean anything to me. I don't know Rich Carell. But actually, 
you don't know him, but you probably have been influenced by him, okay? Rich Carell has lived an incredibly interesting life. His father was uh, one half of what arguably was the most successful and famous radio team when radio was big. How many of you are old enough to remember when radio was big? And his father was one half of Amos and Andy, okay? Was Rich's father. So he grew up in Hollywood. And the street he lived on as a kid, because they had millions of viewers, he lived on a street in Hollywood, in a neighborhood. And on that street, and I'm going to read it to you because you won't believe it. Because when he said this, I'm like, excuse me? And on that street that he lived, uh, across the road from his house was a man by the name of Walt Disney. They used to have dinner parties. The neighbors would go over and have a party. And he, as a kid, rich as a kid, Walt Disney would take a kid up in his knee and take his pen and sketch a sketch and say, here, this is a mouse called Mickey. Keep that sketch. You wish you had those sketches today, right? Imagine. Next door was a comedian named Jerry Lewis. A couple houses down on the other side was a rising TV star by the name of Carol Burnett. Behind him, behind him was a woman that some of you that are my age and north will know named Lana Turner. Lived their house backed onto his. And next to Lana Turner was a young mom named Judy Garland. And Judy Garland had a son named Joey Luft. And Joey Luft was Rich's best friend growing up. And Rich said, one day I'm sitting in Judy Garland's kitchen and she's made us peanut butter sandwiches for lunch. And I said to her, Ms. Judy, last night I watched that movie you were in as a young girl. And I loved when you sang. Oh man, I just loved that song. It was so great. And she said, would you like me to sing it for you, Richie? He said, would you? She said, yeah. And Judy Garland sang. What song do you think? Somewhere over the rainbow. And he said, can you imagine? I'm a kid eating peanut butter sandwiches and Judy Garland standing there singing somewhere over the rainbow to me and her son. And so he was entered into Hollywood sort of, you know, just by way of who he was. And then he got into directing and producing. He was very, oh, I, I want to show you nothing. Show the next picture. He did do a little stint in acting. For three years, he was on Leave it to Beaver. That's him on the left, Rich Grell. But he really had an interest in producing and directing. So he started to work on TV shows. Let me show you the TV shows he worked on. Go ahead. Remember that one? He directed that one. Many of the episodes. Keep going. Directed many of the episodes of that one. Keep going. Remember this one? Remember, remember if you grew up in the 90s, right? You re might remember, right? The Friday night lineup on ABC. Do you remember them? Family Matters, Step by Step, Perfect Strangers. Anybody get the last one? Full House. He directed all of them. And he lived this crazy life, right? Then he directed these two little girls in a show. Keep going. Keep going. Oh, did he go by it? The Olsons? There you go. He directed them. But you know what? <clears throat> 
And then he did Zach and Cody on The Sweet Life. My kids watch that. If I never have to watch that again, I'll be okay. <laughs> but he wrote in his journal when he was working on Happy Days, some days, someday I'd like to create something on my own that's like super duper successful. That really makes it. And so he and another guy got together and they created a character. Go ahead, Travis, keep going. Named Hannah Montana. Pretty successful, right? Pretty successful. He and another guy created Hannah Montana. But guess what happened? He had a fight with the Disney Corporation. And the Disney Corporation, I know you love Bambi and all that, but they're pretty tough customers. And he felt basically, and it appears that he was cheated out a lot of the credit and the money that was due him in the greatest achievement of his life, right? And I'm like, so when I got to talk to him afterwards, I said, man, when you told that story, because he, he was interviewed at this conference, I said, when you told that story about Disney, I couldn't believe how you were so upbeat. You know, and like, yeah, Disney, you know, I, I, I kind of took it on the chin and I didn't get my money and I had to sue them and my partner, we had to sue them, you know. And I said to him, you know, Rich, I, that just blew me away. The greatest success of your life and you get the, your legs kicked out from under you. I said, you used to sit on Walt Disney's knee and the same company that bared his name. I mean, they, they just kicked you in the shins. And this guy, who's not a man of faith, he said this, and it was like a laser beam just right into my own heart. He said, yeah, but I can't let that bother me because I, I'm so grateful I've lived such an amazing life. And I was like, I wish you wouldn't have said that. I'm happy being bitter about that. But I wasn't. See, that's the antidote. Gratefulness is the antidote to bitterness. And that's what Rich Carell acknowledged, right? He was such a gracious and such gratitude, and he gave us time to talk, like we're nobodies. And here's this guy, right? At the time, he was going back to direct Fuller House, you know, the remake. Gratitude, friends, builds immunity for when you are blinded by the bitterness of life, and there's hope on the horizon. Look down to verse 22 again of Ruth chapter 1, See the last part of it? At the beginning of barley harvest. See, there's hope on the horizon. They're coming back to Bethlehem. Moabite Ruth with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth's not welcome. Naomi looks haggard and everybody's talking about her. But the barley harvest, God's provision is coming and that's going to change everything. That is going to set in motion a series of events. Spoiler alert, if you have your Bible, look down to chapter 2, verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, this is, don't call me Naomi, because the Lord has raised his hand against me. I went away full, and I've come back a broken old woman. Call me Mara. Look at verse 20, chapter 2. May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. She's back to a heart of gratitude to God. Amen? That's where you got to get back to. You've got to get back to that. Final point. I need to hurry up. Final point. Don't let your bitterness blind you to God's greater kingdom plan for you and through you. See, Naomi, God has a greater kingdom plan for her and through her. 
And she's mired in that bitterness for a season, but she is able to go back to gratitude towards the goodness of God and look, if you will, turn over to Ruth chapter four, look down towards the end there, Verse 17, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi, grandson. They named him Obed. He was the father of who? Jesse, the father of David. Oh, Naomi, God's plan was so big for you. You had such an important role. That's why we are talking about Naomi today. Talking about, don't let bitterness blind you. Let me tell you this story and I'm done. I love the story in Mark chapter one, verse 19. Let me read it to you, just a couple verses. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. We're gonna, I'm gonna be Lord willing with some of you, a few of you, I'd like more of you, this coming October, we will sit in that place on the Sea of Galilee. We'll look over at the primacy of St. Peter, the, ch- the very church that sits at the site where Peter swims into. They're sitting there on the Sea of Galilee, and this is at the beginning of their, and Jesus says, hey, come and follow me. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, some of you parents and grandparents You know, you might have to face a Zebedee moment where your kids or your grandkids say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go be a pastor somewhere. I'm going to go be a missionary somewhere. I'm going to go serve the Lord somewhere. And they're going to leave you and what you think that they should take from there. See, Zeb had built a business. He's got men that work for him. Uh, The boys are supposed to take over the business. And Zeb comes home from the lake that day and walks in the house and Ma says, where's the boys? And he said, the rabbi came and said, come. And they got out of the boat. They left our men. I built this fishing business. They left and they followed him. Can you believe it? Well, we read in the New Testament narrative that that same mother, she, she campaigns for a prized and privileged position for those sons, right? Can one be at your left and one be at your right? I imagine that really impacts her when she looks at a man hanging on his left and his right on the cross. Careful what you ask for. A dozen or so years later, We read in Acts chapter 12 that James followed Jesus not only in life, but in death. He had his head lopped off by King Herod's sword. That could be another potential pill for bitterness for Zeb and his wife. But you know what? And this is completely my conjecture. I sometimes sit and think, you know, when I think about stuff in my own life, and I think, you know, man, I don't get this, but I, I know God is good and he's got a plan for all of us and it's for his glory and his goodness and he chooses to exercise that through us even though we don't understand it. And sometimes we're annoyed and upset, disappointed, and we can be bitter. But I sometimes imagine a retirement home in the Galilee. Zeb, Mazeb, sitting in the front porch of the retirement home in their rocking chairs after those boys left, gave their lives, their careers, and then died 
for Rabbi Jesus. And I often wonder if one day they're sitting there drinking their morning coffee and Zeb, finally the light comes on and he says, Ma! I don't know why they followed him that day. But let's remember that Jesus, his message is changing the world. And he only picked 12. And two were our boys. Two were our boys. So don't let bitterness blind you to the greater kingdom plan God has for you and through you. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Forgive us, Lord, when we have wallowed in our own self-pity, self-involvement, and not look towards you and realize that you're in control. Realize that you discipline us sometimes because you love us. When we're not grateful because you have been so good to us, your grace has poured over us when we don't deserve it. Your mercy has been everlasting. And Father, may we remember that you have a plan for us that we can't even imagine, can't even comprehend. And may we walk in obedience to you and keep our accounts short. For you are good and we love you. Amen.